Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, who is always here in this role, helping to represent Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you tonight? Well, I'm also trying to try out to be part of the Weekend Gardener because, you know, I talk about gardening a lot. You think they'll ever bring me on? I think I think you have a way better shot than I do. <laughs> um, it's a tight-knit circle there, but uh, I think it would be wonderful to have you on the Weekend you know, Gardener you for a little know. bit. You know, I've got little baby radishes coming up now. I think you, so should, you should have a remote broadcast done at your house. Oh, live from well, the farm. Fun. Live from Cleggett Farm. Ooh, that would be it's really the weekend fun. gardener. <laughs> I think that would be exciting. Let's go for it. I'm gonna let's run, pitch it. I'm going to run that up the flagpole, see All what right. happens. <laughs> well, let's get serious and talk about uh, some of the topics at hand tonight, Nicole. And, you know, uh, a lot of times on this program, we talk about the importance of talking about death and how, uh, you know, for a lot of us, it can seem taboo and uh, that can create problems down the road if we never have those conversations. And Someone who's going to help us have that conversation a little bit is Heather Hill. She's a licensed funeral director with Renaissance Funeral Home. Heather, thank you so much for coming in this evening. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to talk about death and death cafe. Thank Excellent. You. So death cafe, that is a kind of an interesting idea. When you hear that, you, you kind of wonder, oh my gosh, is this a place where we eat among the dead? Is this, <laughs> is this a depressing yeah. place? You know, what do we do here at the death cafe? What, what exactly is that? That is... You're not the first person to think that. We post um, our events on Facebook and people respond like that all the time. Uh What is this? Why is it called Death Cafe? What are you doing? Um, I had a woman come one time and she actually told her husband, we're going to go to a cafe and we're going to go have have dinner. And they pulled up to the funeral home and uh, the husband (laughs) said, what do you mean? Death Cafe. Um, And, you know, I think that while I'm not crazy about the name, I didn't create the name, Uh but it does... It does pique your interest, and you're wondering what, why is, what is this? Why is it called this? And I need to learn more. So if it brings somebody in to learn more, then then we're happy about that. But as I said, I didn't create the name Death Cafe. Sure. Death Cafe is an international program. It's a model that was created by John Underwood and Sue Barsky Reed, um, based on the ideas of Bernard Critaz. Um, it started in England in 2014, um, and they decided that it was healthy to talk about death and they wanted a safe place to talk about death. So they developed this model and this model is picked up and it is, um, they had 16 different countries pick up Death Cafe. Wow. And so you found out about this and you got interested because? Because I am new to the death industry, fairly new. I've been in this um, career for about five and a half years. And I, I sit with a lot of families who who are, you know, stressed and haven't talked to their loved ones. I talk to them after their loved one has passed right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And they don't always know what they want to do. They don't always know what their family, what was important to their family, whether they want a burial or green burial or um, what services they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that if we have these discussions beforehand, then we can better deal with death when it happens. 
So that's what initially drew me to this. Why, as communities, we don't talk about death? Why is it taboo? Why, why is it such a difficult subject to talk about? And of course, we all know why it's such a difficult subject, right. because death is, is not fun. Mm-hmm. Death is hard, and it's difficult to talk about. So that's what initially drew me to ha- bringing Death Cafe into the funeral home with my experience of sitting with families that hadn't had these discussions. And what can we do as a funeral home and as a community to start these discussions to, to help? So explain to me kind of what exactly happens at a death cafe. <laughs> now, and now that I know it's at a funeral home too, double scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, that does keep people from coming uh-huh. because they're saying it's at a funeral home. I had a woman come one time who was visibly, visibly shaken up, visibly full of anxiety. And she said, I came because I wanted to overcome my fear of coming to a funeral home. Mm. And I think... You know, we, we've had discussions of having it off-site so that we wouldn't, you know, offend people. But that's the whole idea of this is we're trying to make you not afraid of talking mm-hmm. about death. So by us giving into that um, that thought process, we're, we're kind of not following our own model mm-hmm. of the ease of talking about death. But what happens at a death cafe? Um, believe it or not, it's very upbeat. Um, as a moderator, I try to keep it that way. Death is hard and death is not easy to talk about, but there is there is good things that can come from and death. funny things and funny things yeah. and funny stories <laughs> yeah, and funny yeah. ideas. Um, we have food. We usually have some refreshments. People are welcome to bring their own refreshments. It, it, I think the model when it started was always centered around cake, cake, food, and because we have it a lot of times at a dinner hour, we provide food for our families or our, our guests that come, and we gather. We Gather, we gather our plates, we get some refreshments, and then I open up the Death Cafe by introducing myself, explaining a little bit like I am now about what Death Cafe is, and then we go around the room and do a very short introduction. People can tell us why they're here. Mm-hmm. I just, I want, I've heard about it, I want to know what it is, and after our introductions, there is no set topic. Mm-hmm. There's no set discussion planned. Um, people, we go around and introduce ourselves and somebody may say, I'm here because, um, because we went through hospice and I want to learn more about hospice. And so then topics will come up. When is a good time to bring in hospice? Mm -hmm. What if I don't know if I need hospice? Then there may be some hospice workers or some hospice staff in the, in our community that will step up and say, well, there's palliative care and there's hospice care. So there's no, I, th- I think the main idea is that there's no set discussion. It's not um, uh, something that I'm putting on saying this is our topic for the day. It is open and everyone is different. So this is not to be confused, though, with a support group. So Correct. this is not a place where you actually go get grief counseling if you're bereaved. Correct. And we do have a notice, a little asterisk at the bottom of all of our communications that says this is not grief support. Having said that, we do have a lot of people that are active in our community because they've lost someone mm-hmm. and they're sharing what they've learned from their experience or just talking about death in a community of people that have experienced it as well. But we do not um, want to put forward the idea that it is about grief therapy, but we talk about grief in a healthy way. So give us an idea of some additional topics that tend to come up. There probably are, I'm guessing, some general things that kind of come up from time to time. Yes, there is. A a topic that we talk about frequently is what kind of disposition you want for your own body. We talk about green burial a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there's a lot of people that are um, in the green burial profession or advocates for green burial. And during their introductions, they'll say, and I'm a green burial guide or a home funeral guide. And then somebody will come around and say, okay, what is this green burial? And, and please explain it. And then the topics go into green burial and what it is and families that have been through a green burial and why they chose that. Mm. So that is a, a, a topic that comes up a lot. And funerals, um, celebrating how we should celebrate someone if their family has different ideas. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the traditional way we've seen it for the last 20 years that everybody's done, right? right. I mean, exactly. I'm sure things are sort of morphing and changing as and, time goes on. And that's what we see a lot of um, differences in families that want to follow their tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we serve a lot of Hindu families. We have a crematory on site, so we do a lot of Hindu families. So we see a lot of, you know, young Hindu children you know, young meaning, you know, 20, 30, 40, and they want to honor their parents' religion and their rituals, but they don't want to exactly follow it word for word. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in, in their tradition, the females are unable to go and escort the body into the crematory. And we find that, you know, a lot of families want to keep keep that but still be present for the cremation, which is part of their ritual. Mm-hmm. So those are little things that we talk about, how we can bring in traditions and still honor what, you know, a new way of, of grieving and a new way of celebrating our loved ones. So when um, do you hold these deaf cafes and how can people find out more information? Uh, we ha- I try to hold them every four to six weeks, okay. depending on the schedule at the funeral home. We have, I have a, a sign up that folks can give me their email address and I only send out information about dates and times. We have a Facebook page, Death Cafe Facebook, Death Cafe Raleigh Facebook page, and at Renaissance Funeral Home, we post the events on there as well. And I even have a text remind service that folks can subscribe to. So there should be no reason you have no idea when the next one is going to be. <laughs> so if folks want more information about Renaissance Funeral Home, how do they go about getting that? Well, they can uh, visit our website at rfhr.com. They can call, make an appointment, and come and see our facility. And... Um, or, you know, I'd say stop by, but we don't want people, you know, stopping by during funerals. Yeah. So call for an appointment and come in and talk to us awesome. if you want to learn more about it. Excellent. That website, again, is rfhr.com, rfhr.com. Heather Hill, Licensed Funeral Director with Renaissance Funeral Home. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. I'm always happy to talk about death. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And be on the lookout for the death cafes. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. On News Radio 680 WPTF, Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we've got a new guest here in the studio. And we've got uh, Jennifer Holleran here with us. She is the Director of Operations for Everybody Needs a Nurse. And they are patient advocates. And we're going to be talking about why this is an important resource for caregivers and care receivers. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming in. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. 
So you've been around for over 10 years now. Yes. Because I remember us sitting together when it was a budding new business and just coming up with ideas and plans. So That's congratulations right. on I that. I know. We did not know what we were getting into, but, <laughs> but you, you're were, still you here. were a great Similar help to, to me. us. Yes, exactly. I didn't know either. We were all just sort of pioneers together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was it was fun starting out with you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been a fun journey yes. for sure. So so glad to have you here today on the show. And I, and I always have appreciated your model and what makes it different than everything else that's out there. You know, it's one of those things where it's it's just not exactly like anything else. And I can appreciate the challenge and the gift that that is and what you're doing as well. So talk to us a little bit about your role as patient advocates and sort of how it's unlocking mysteries. Yes. Well, we talk about ourselves as being part nurse and part detective. Mm-hmm. So we are You have a bloodhound? Yeah, I wish. We, we have a couple, <laughs> a, of, we have a couple of little dogs that I don't think are very detective-y. But, and I want to I want to have a big magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat, too. But That, that would be fun. I, I, yeah, Good marketing there's, ploy. There's on or, those are on order, probably. I'm going to have to go to Amazon and look around for those. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we follow clues and we kind of dig into people's stories. So we help people with uh, kind of navigate the healthcare system um, with d- people who are dealing with complex medical issues, mm-hmm. giving them support and guidance. And so part of that is hearing what the story is and probing further and following clues, finding what is is the story underneath the story a lot of times, and then finding a solution. So we are in a way detectives because people don't often don't know even their own story of what's happening to them never mind a relatives so they're they're telling us what their experience is and because we're RNs we can look at the clinical piece underneath it and ask the right questions to get to the bottom of it so kind of give us an example of what that may look like, because I know there are a lot of businesses out there that are more along the lines of case management or the aging life care professionals, and there's a touch of the medical piece and all of that. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, what type of person would be the ideal person to kind of reach out to your organization? Yeah, it's basically patients and uh, clients and their families who are, go- who are going through a complex medical situation. And it's interesting because complex medical situation doesn't always translate to the big diagnosis. Yes, I'm picturing like somebody sitting in an ICU. Right, right. And a lot of our clients have the big diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But what's really bothering them in that moment to moment can be something that seems really small. So a while ago we had a a client who um, was, he had had a systemic infection. He was very weak. He had frontal, some frontal lobe neuropathy, so he mm. had some uh, issues with his cognition and his, his executive functions. But what he told us when we kind of delved in a little further is that he used to walk, but now he was going just from his chair to his wheelchair. So we came in, and, and his, he had a, a home health uh, companion there with him, and she would transfer him a CNA and she would transfer him from his easy chair to his wheelchair roll him to the bathroom transfer him to a toilet mm-hmm. or a shower doing what she thought was the right doing thing doing what she thought was the right thing this had been a new development where she felt he was stubborn because he wasn't he refused to walk mm. and so we 
got to know him a little bit because he wasn't that excited to have people in his house, <laughs> right, as often happens. And he, um, he opened up to us and told us, I would walk, but my foot hurts. Mm. And this was something he had never told his doctor, never told his daughter, who had been taking care of him, never told his, the, the home health aide, never told anyone about this, and he opened up to his nurse. So we took a look at his foot. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, and it was actually not so bad news because it was a infected ingrown toenail. Oh, well, that hurts. Right. Yeah, we've all but had But that <laughs> hurts like the Dickens. Exactly. And so he had had this for a, a month or so. And for him, he felt that he could, didn't really, it didn't really matter because it wasn't one of the big diagnoses that he had. Mm-hmm. But it was impacting him and impacting his life. And... As we know, with a lot of uh, senior population, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So if he had continued not to be not to walk, he would then be unable to walk. Mm-hmm. And he was already getting some weakness in his legs sure. and, and muscle degeneration from that. So he, uh, we took him to the doctor. We called the doctor right away. Mm-hmm. Took him to his doctor. They did a little procedure. Um, we cut off the top of one of his shoes mm. so that it wouldn't... Oh, a peekaboo sunroof. Yeah, exactly. It was very cute. It was like, okay, let's get an older pair of shoes. <laughs> it's not your nice, you know. And um, and got a system going where he was uh, able to soak his foot several times a day. We also brought in a pedicurist mm-hmm. to come and make sure that his nails were fine, and they, they came to the house. Um, so we were able to find a solution for him. And as this is happening and we're telling him, you know, and he's telling us more about this, he said, you know, in a few months, I, I'm going to turn 90. And my children are throwing me a 90th birthday party. And really what I would like to do is be able to walk in the door mm-hmm. and not have to be in a wheelchair for my party. And so we use that goal mm-hmm. as a, a way of, motivating him for, mm-hmm. for physical therapy, talking to the physical therapist about that goal, mm-hmm. and getting him situated so that he could do that. And so his party rolls around, and he's able to get out of his wheelchair and walk, and then he stood and greeted his guests. So, And this became and a that me- was huge. This was huge, mm-hmm. and it became a memory that he cherished for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he felt that people were... Seeing him, who he, seeing who he really was, right, and not somebody who was just not the shell of the person, bound. exactly. Yeah. And as this was going on, you know, he had been sort of a. He, he said, "People tell me I'm be- mean, and I'm cranky." And he had had several home care aides who had not stayed with him because he would yell at them, and he would he was definitely cranky, <laughs> to say the least. And so he was able to, as his pain left him, right, he felt better, and he wasn't so cranky, and he wasn't so cranky. And so the aide that had been with him, and she was a, a real saint. She was twenty four seven, five days a week, and she. Um, she didn't. She didn't have to lift him as much anymore, and so she was happier, and he was happier, and so he kind of found his himself again in all of this. Mm-hmm. He was able to go back to church, go to lunch, have his friends over, even so he rediscovered his life, 
And that was something that was really special for us. So this is all from an ingrown toenail. Right. Yeah, well, right? it made a huge difference. So it made a huge difference. So even though most of the people we see do have big diagnoses, what we're able to do is look at both the micro and the macro mm-hmm. and translate so that we can see what's going on day to day as well as the big picture. So I would suspect, too, you know, being a, a patient advocate, you get into some really tricky widgets when they share things with you that the family may or may not agree. Yes. And so being that patient a- advocate, can I, can, I can guess, can sometimes put you at odds. Yes. Um, I mean, our strategy really is to build a consensus. Um, and what we tell people is that we, the, the patient and the family, that we tell you the truth as we see it. Mm-hmm. So we will always tell the truth. But we've had some occasions where um, clients have asked us not to share certain things with the family members. And a lot of that is emotional. It's personal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because people don't want to upset their children about things. So we had a client whose husband had vascular dementia. and, And she really, we would see both of them. So we would see him about his diagnosis and how he was doing. And then we would talk to her about how she was coping with everything. And she would be angry at him. And as, as I think is pretty normal if, you're, uh, if your spouse has personality changes and is maybe not the, the same person that you've been with for many years. Yeah, that could be something that would jar anyone. We've got Dr. Jennifer Halloran here in the studio. She is the Director of Operations for Everybody Needs a Nurse, and we're talking all about the role of the patient advocate and why that is so important for us who may be on a caregiving journey. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, and our guest in the studio is Dr. Jennifer Halloran, and she is the Director of Operations for Everybody Needs a Nurse. They are patient advocates, and we are talking all about that role and why it is important and useful to a lot of us. And Nicole, just before the break, uh, Jennifer was telling us that, you know, when you're when you're on a caregiving journey, that this can impact the whole family and, and dynamics change. It's it's not just the, uh, the the care journey for the individual, but it it's a whole ecosystem right. for the family it's, that evolves. Yeah, it's not just about the transaction of the care. It's, right. It's just everything else that surrounds it. So when you're in some of those, you know, family situations where you're, the patient shares some things with you that they don't necessarily want to share with the family because they view you as a confident confidant, how do you sort of still try to meet the needs of that patient without destroying yeah. that sort of trust? Yes, exactly. And so we what we do, and, and part of our um, routine of, after we visit people, is to write a family report. And that does have a lot of elements to it. The cl- there's clinical elements about what is going on physically with them, but also their mood and how they're doing. But in times where someone is asking us to keep things personal between us and them, if we don't feel that it impacts their health, we don't tell the children. Right. So there is some confidentiality there um, that we 
feel is important to in order to maintain that trust um, so that people continue to open up to us. A lot of times they don't talk to a therapist or they right. don't talk to anyone else. And so we're the person that they talk to and we want to cultivate that. You and the hairdresser. Yeah. Those hairdressers yes. have vaults on all of us, That's don't they? That's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So and hopefully I, not a bartender. <laughs> yeah. That could, well, God only knows. But you never know. Like, who's sitting at that bar? That, that, could, be, yeah, that could be a scary time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you must have to put earplugs in. Yeah. So, you know, I would also imagine that you are in an interesting situation when you're dealing also with sort of concerns from families and from patients when that individual doesn't live inside their own home, but perhaps they're living in a long-term care community. Yes. Um, we often follow our clients from home to the long-term care community, and that's a nice bridge to have um, so that we can familiarize people who work at the community with what was going on with this person at home mm -hmm. and also have conversations with the patient about remember your house and let's talk about your house and where you lived and where your children grew up. So we are a, a good bridge about that. Um, and our goal really is to make sure everyone's happy mm -hmm. where they are. Um, a lot of people have qualms about moving, especially if they feel that they're not in control and that it was their children who, you know, and you hate this phrase, put them in a home. And so these places are beautiful and people can still feel that way. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's just the emotional and the family dynamics about that. Um, but we are able to come in and, and sort of talk about what the reality is for these people and how they weren't a, you know, they are not able to live at home anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, it brings kind of, it, it grounds things. And in a supportive way, we are not going to boss people around or tell them this is what they need to think or do. It's about listening and about providing our perspective. And pr sometimes I would suspect being a mediator to kind of be that yes. person who can communicate well, professional to professional to kind of, I know a lot of times people have concerns about raising concerns when they're living in a community. Is there a free or fear of reprisal or, yes. well, if I don't feel like the care is going great for me now. If I complain, I'll even be lower on the list. Right. And so kind of trying to overcome some of those myths and, and trying to educate people about the best way to communicate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we work with the the patient themselves and the family in terms of the best way to communicate with um, people who run these communities and who work in the communities. And we also help people in the communities understand what the needs of the client are. So we are, um, we are a communication facilitator among all of those parties. And, you know, we bring, we try to put poor oil on the water. Mm -hmm. um, if there's rough water, we try to keep everyone and make it so that everyone's happy. Most of the communities want their residents to be very happy. Yeah. And so they'll do things, they'll talk about things, then they may tell things to us as professionals that they're not telling the families. Right. So that's something that we can uh, be involved in, definitely. So when does a person know who may be listening today when it may be a good time to reach out to your organization? Yeah. That's a really good question because, as I said, these big, uh, complex medical issues may or may not have to do with 
uh, big diagnoses. So it may be something that seems kind of small, but it seems my, it might seem small to your family, and then other people would say, no, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I think whenever you feel as your, your children are coming flying in all the time to try to wrestle with your doctors and talk, talk to your doctors and feeling like you are not being heard, um, we talk about whenever you go into a doctor's office and you come out feeling more confused than when you went in. Mm-hmm. that's a time to reach out for an advocate, somebody who can talk to these people as professional peers. Um, and the blessing and the curse of living in the research triangle area is the fact that it's the research triangle area. Exactly. So that there is, it's the, you, for a lot of people, you never hear enough is enough because there's always something else you can do or try. Exactly. Regardless of the quality of life for the individual. Exactly. So it's, that can be even more confusing because then you feel like, well, what if I need to try everything for mom or dad? And when is it right. time to get off that medical merry-go-round? And people, you know, when children feel that there's, there should be something more we can do, but we can't figure out what it is. Um, and we can be there to tell them, here are some other options or... Well, you know, things are going and you going along as fast as they can. Things are happening at the speed that they need to, and it's not good to pour other issues on top of what's already going on. Um, so, yeah, that's something that people can uh, bring to, um, can understand when they call us that they're going to hear our truth, we're going to tell them our truth, and that we will do the best to support everyone. So when somebody gets you involved in their care, what can they expect on the visit? Well, this is the great thing. Um, I like to say that we go beneath the surface. And so on the surface, it's a lovely visit. And everyone enjoys talking to our nurses. That's part of our method. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a method to our madness. It's a secret sauce. That's right. It is a secret (laughs) sauce. And so we go... And we, t- we just talk to them about their, how they're feeling, how they've been doing. We go weekly, so we ask them how they've been over the last week, what changes have happened or what stayed the same. If they want to talk about growing up, we talk about growing up and how they you know, grew up maybe on a farm mm-hmm. or what you know, their dad did and different things. We talk about that. We talk about their careers, if they had careers, um, and their children. And so we're having this wonderful conversation. And a lot of times our clients, the, the senior clients, think, I don't know what they're doing. Why are they here? This is just so nice. <laughs> Why are they coming? Why are they coming? <laughs> exactly. But under the surface, what's going on is the nurse is looking. Mm-hmm. So when the client greets us at the door, well, are they walking better than they were last week? Are they walking worse? What's going on with their foot that was hurting them? Mm-hmm. Um, that they are, um, what's happening with their speech? Are they getting having more trouble getting words? And then how are they looking? What is how, What are they reporting? How is, how, have they lost weight? Have they gained weight? Mm-hmm. What is their surroundings? Is the home clean or messy? Um, we talk, if there's an aide there, we talk to the aide and get their report and their thoughts about what's been going on the last week. So it all ties up to lots and lots and lots of little details. Mm-hmm. And that's where I say we're, we're like detectives, because from those little details, 
we have a story. That puzzle's about coming together. The puzzle's coming together, exactly. Mm-hmm. And what has been going on with this person? So, how is this paid for? Yes, this is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, it's a big like, million dollar million question. Dollar question. And I wish it was a million dollar <laughs> question, but it's. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, most things in senior care, this is private pay. Mm-hmm. Although, um, because we're RNs, uh, some of our some long term care policies do okay. um, pay, do reimburse. So do for check this. and check and see about so that. So check and see your long term care policy. And if folks want inf- more information and to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Well, um, you can go to our website at www.everybodyneedsanurse.com. And we have a contact us on that page, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Um, and our number is 919-606-1819. If you want to give us a call, we're happy to talk to you. Excellent. That website, again, easy enough. Everybody needs a nurse. Dr. Jennifer Halloran, Director of Operations for Everybody Needs a Nurse, thank you so much for coming in this evening. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks. Absolutely. We enjoyed it. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Live Care. She is Nicole Claykett. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this Saturday evening. And Nicole, we got a little housekeeping that we need to do. And, you know, we haven't talked about Transitions Guiding Lights in a while. And I think that this is... Uh, Again, such a tremendous resource available to folks and that, uh, you know, we probably should say something about it every single program, although it it makes it hard because we don't have a whole lot of time. But I I think it is very important to remind everyone just what Guiding Likes is and what it does. Well, thank you, Jason. So we are a nonprofit organization, a charity organization uh, in the state of North Carolina, and we provide to the community at large free information, free referrals, education and support to those who are in a caregiving journey for a loved one. And, you know, one of the things that I think we don't hit on very often is that, you know, what exactly is a caregiver? You know, I always think about, you know, I think it's Jeff Foxworthy, you know, you know you're a redneck if. There <laughs> needs to be, you know, you're a caregiver if. And, you know, it, it's kind of sneaky because a lot of people identify being a family caregiver as actually providing that physical care to a loved one. So that is literally, you know, if I am not dressing my mom, bathing my mom, assisting my mom to the bathroom, feeding my mom, then I'm not a caregiver. But that's actually not true. You know, caregiving is really um, a whole host of of different types of tasks that you do with a loved one to include what we often call activities of daily living. That's the bathing and the dressing, the grooming that I just mentioned. But there's also what they call IDALs, which are more of the independent activities of daily living. So those are things like preparing meals, going grocery shopping, writing your bills, being transported to and from work or doctor's appointments, things of that nature. And oftentimes those are the things that start happening in a family situation. 
And that's really caregiving. So if you're starting to, you know, have to, you know, check in on mom via phone call, take mom to doctor's appointments, uh, make sure that mom is getting rid of the spoiled food in the refrigerator, actually run to the grocery store because she's not driving anymore. You're actually really a caregiver. It can sneak up on you at times. You may just think, hey, I'm I'm helping out mom a little bit with this. And then suddenly you're kind of in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really and I think men have a harder time identifying as caregivers. And so a, a good friend of mine, you know, he was caregiving for his mom and he was telling me all the things that he was doing for his mom. And you know, she had been in the hospital a whole bunch of times. And, you know, he was, you know, visiting her every single day in the long term care facility she was in and being an advocate for her. And one day I referred to him as a caregiver and he said, well, I'm not a caregiver. And I said, well, frankly, you actually are. And let me explain to you why. So, you know, caregiving even continues on for those, you know, listening. You, know, you may have been providing some of that care for a loved one in their home and then they transition off into more of a long term care setting. But you're still really there because I don't care if you're five years old or 50 years old or 100 years old. If you are not receiving care in your own home, or even frankly, if you are, you really need someone there on your bench to be your advocate because there's so much going on and it's so complicated. You really need somebody there to make sure that, you know, they're not amputating your right arm when it really needs to be your left, so to speak. <laughs> so, Nicole, give me a quick walkthrough. Um, I, suddenly I find out, oh, I'm, I'm a caregiver now I, uh-huh. I, and I need some help. And I, I, let's say I call Guiding Lights. What, what happens? What, what should I ask? What, what do I do? Well, first of all, know that there are no stupid questions. There are no wrong That's questions. That's good for me. Well, <laughs> well, but I think sometimes people are embarrassed because the reality of it is people don't know what they don't know. And there is a huge tangled web of resources out there. So what happens is when you call, or you can stop by, but most people call just because they're so busy, um, you will speak to one of our referral specialists. And we actually have two folks in our office that take these calls. And we ask you questions about what's going on in your loved one's life, what's going on in your life, and sort of where all the pressure and pinch points are. And you may call and say, you know, I can't take it anymore. If mom asks me one more time, what time is it? I'm just going to go crazy. And, um, you know, so you just and and mom needs to be placed. But you may not realize that there are a lot of community based options out there that may make them be able to stay in their home a little bit safer for longer. So, you know, we take an intake. It's not a big, scary process, but we really try to find out what the situation is. We try to find out also from you what the financial resources are. Now, not that because we're nosy about what your finances are, but we want to know what bucket of money do you have to potentially pay for your loved one's care? Because we don't want to refer you to give you an improper referral to an organization that you can't afford. And so, you know, we want to kind of get a sense of where we are with that. And then what we do is we directly connect you to organizations of excellence. So we have organizations that apply to receive referrals by our organization, and we put them through an interview process, and we make sure that we feel confident that if this was our mom or dad, we would feel comfortable making a referral to that entity. And so after we talk with you, and if, a, if an actual resource needs to be referred out to you, then we will get your permission to actually connect you with that organization and hopefully make a match for you so that you can have some relief in that caregiving journey. And you're getting no incentive for these referrals, correct? Absolutely like some of these not. Other organizations. Right. So there are some things out there that exist that can kind of get referred referral fees when they give a referral to an entity, um, which is way too complicated to get into right now. But um, no, so there is no charge for organizations to become vetted by us and we do not get money back for giving referrals. We really look at the situation, which is why we're a nonprofit 501c3 charity. And so we are funded through grants, through donations, through the fundraising events that we 
have. And that's really how we keep the wheel turning for our organization. It's a great organization and just a, a truly invaluable resource. GuidingLightsNC.org is the website. What's the phone number if folks want to sure, get Sure, it's at 919-371-2062. Excellent. Nicole, we're out of time. We, uh, we're, we've got to get out of here, but we will be back again next Saturday evening at 7. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, right here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.